18 first kings chapter 18 live okay and let's let's look at this thing man i tell you we're still in flowing in the supernatural i want to take you to school today give you hopefully a few notes that you can take with you um but i um, want to go to school for a little while and i want to take us further in this teaching we know last week elijah battled these 450 prophets and somebody shout victory he was victorious. Whenever you stand for Christ, you always win. And I want to take you a little further in the teaching today. First Kings chapter 18, verse number 41 through 46, because the Lord is doing supernatural things. Amen. And I want to show you a few things in these few verses, five verses or so, six verses that will enlighten you and help you to become stronger in believing God. Listen to what the Bible says. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. <laughs> he said, so Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. How many of you know worship is always important? Here Elijah gets through winning a victory and he bows down and gives God the worship that he is due. And said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, the servant, that is, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. Somebody say heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. It's amazing the supernatural things you can do when the hand of God comes upon you. God's hand was so powerful upon this man, Frank, he outran horses. <laughs> My God. Somebody say, now that's supernatural. But... Uh, Elijah says something to this boy, to this servant in this passage, and that's where I, I want to take my text from. Verse number 41, the Bible says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. I want to talk this day from the thought, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. And my subtopic will be, so you understand where we're going, walking in faith during a drought. <laughs> walking in faith during a drought. I want to go ahead and define faith because we know Hebrews 11 declares that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In layman's terms, what that scripture is teaching us is that, Anthony, faith is acting out God's instructions with full assurance that what God has said is going to happen. <laughs> Faith, acting out God's instructions with full assurance that what God has told you is going to happen. In other words, faith is doing uh, God's instructions. Whatever he tells you to do, Mary says, do it. Doing what God tells you to do, knowing that even when you don't see a thing because God said it, it's going to come to pass. In this passage, uh, we notice the people of God are in a drought. Yet Elijah tells his servant, go and look towards the sea up to seven times. In other words, he tells him, go look for rain. Go, go look, go expecting that it's going to happen. And I want you to, 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 to write this down. I want you to remember it. But if God is going to bring rain in your life, that is the rain of blessings, the rain of the supernatural, you have got to keep looking with expectation. If God is going to do what he said he's going to do in your life, you have got to keep looking with expectation. Somebody shout expectation. Nothing, if you're listening to me with good ears this morning, nothing just happens. Nothing just comes to pass. 
You have got to be doing and expecting, believing and knowing that as you are doing what God says, even when it has not happened yet, because you are doing, Frank, and because we are believing God at the right hour, it shall come to pass. God wants to encourage your faith this morning. He wants to strengthen your walk with him because this servant goes up and I'm going to use this as one of my points later on, but let me wet your whistle. Elijah's servant goes and he looks for rain near the sea six times and six times nothing happened. You ever had those seasons in your life to where like you really knew this was the day that God was going to do it, but like it didn't happen. I mean, you just knew that this was your hour. You just had one of those real warm services where chills went up and down your spine. And you knew that those things that God had promised you were going to come to pass. And yet you went home and home was still the same way you left it. That's what's happening to the servant in this text. He is having to believe God despite not seeing what God said would come to pass. We have traditionally said, stay with me, I'm just introducing, laying foundation, but we have traditionally said that six is the number of man. Why do we say that? Because man was made on the what day? Sixth day. Six is the number of man. We say five is the number of grace. Seven is the number of what? Completion, right? So in keeping with that tradition, uh, notice that in the text, God exhausts the man. It was not in the sixth time that he sees a move of God. (laughs) I'm trying to show you something. God is not going to depend on your resources to get it done in your life. It won't be your education. That's the sixth man. It won't be your MBA. It won't be who you know. It won't be who you rub elbows with. But the promises of God are tied to the seventh factor. (laughs) The seventh factor is the God factor. Look at somebody and say, it takes God. Whenever you're trying to get a move of God in your life, you got to understand that we are limited in our own resources. Am I right, Sister Lemon? We are, if you will, at best on our best day using only what we know. But Ephesians 3 and 20 says it best, Mel, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ever ask or think. You know what that means? That means that God's going to do some things that you can't plan. You can't put together. And that's what happens. This guy goes up six times. God wants to, to exhaust our flesh. Don't turn there. But 1 Corinthians 1 and 29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence. New Living Translation says it better. As a result, no one could ever boast in the presence of God. Let me see the hands of everybody in here. You've ever had something good happen in your life and you know it wasn't because of you. I mean, seriously, you got a job or you got promoted, something happened of a good nature in your life and you knew that it was only the hand of God. Why does God let that happen? Because whenever God does a thing, he wants to make sure that no one can come back and say it's because of something that I did to make it come to pass. Somebody said it best and I chuckle at it. He said, that's why God created man in the sixth day (laughs) because he knew man was arrogant. Man would stand up and say, look at the trees I made. Look at the waters I poured out. Look at the animals that I put together. God made it impossible for man to take glory. I look at this great gathering crowd and how the Lord is constantly growing this church and how he's blessing his people. Look at Sister uh, Blanca's son getting saved uh, last week and other great things happening in the uh, lives of God's people. Marriage is coming back together. And you know what God is saying? It's not because of your smarts. It's not because of who you are. It's not because of who you know, but it is because of me. It's because of my great hand. And the Bible is teaching us something in this. He says, I want you to move from believing in yourself. Everybody say this with me. I don't believe in me. Popular psychology will teach you to believe in you. To believe in yourself. Know how good you are. When Jesus teaches us that there is none good but the Father. 
No flesh can glory in my presence. I thank the Lord every day for the credentials he's given me in life and the wonderful experiences that I've had in my young days of living. But at the end of the day, everything that is moving, as the old people used to say, is moving by the power of God. Come with me now to Genesis 6, verse 17. Are you ready to go to school? Somebody shout, no flesh. God is going to help you with something because see many of you you're expecting God to move you know that he's a supernatural God but sister Gwen we have got to get to a place to where we stop trying to figure it out we stop trying to put it together we know how God's going to work this out or how you don't know what God's going to (laughs) do you just know that at the end of the day it's going to be done Come with me to Genesis chapter 6. Somebody shout it again. No flesh. Your marriage is not going to come together because of your smarts. It takes the power of God. Your son is not going to start acting right just because of who you are. It takes the power of God. God says, I know how to change the hearts of men. Listen to what Genesis, I don't want to get lost on that. I'm keeping up with time. Genesis chapter 6, no flesh can glory in God's presence. I want you to see a biblical truth that really emerged since the beginning of time. Somebody shout, it's going to rain. Genesis 6 and 17, and behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth. (laughs) Y'all didn't read that. (laughs) To destroy From under heaven, all what? Flesh, in which is the breath of life. Now, now see the metaphor. We're going to read further. Why did God destroy these people? Because they were wicked, right? They lost their way with God. But check it out. God ventured since the beginning of time, Dr. Walker, to destroy all flesh. He says, I've never been a God of flesh. I've never been a God to where I allow man to glory in my goodness. So he says in this passage, I'm going to destroy all flesh from under heaven, uh, which is the breath of life. Everything that is on earth shall die. But somebody say, but not us. But for you and I, verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. That's enough. God is telling you the righteous. Somebody say, that's me. In fact, let me just do a sound check. How many people in here, you're living holy? God is saying, for you, the righteous, I have established a promise. My promise is that I will put you in my ark of safety. I will put my good hand on you, my covering on you. You will not go lacking in a day of lack. No flesh will glory in my presence, though. (laughs) You've got to acknowledge that if I'm going to preserve your your job, if I'm going to preserve your marriage, if I'm going to preserve your home, it will take me. Can I read you a little article this morning just to kind of prove my point of how it takes God? This happened right here in North Carolina here this past week. Many of you heard the story of how somebody blessed our own church with a $50,000 offering out of nowhere. Somebody shout hallelujah anonymously praise the Lord God is still doing the supernatural but then I said well Lord you you must be doing some things in other people too members of a Morganton church are calling an anonymous donor who saved it from foreclosure a miracle and a gift from God the church owed 345,000 to the bank and could not come up with the money a lot of members said they had given up hope on saving the church let me pause right there never give up on God Never give up on the hand of God. God said, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. (laughs) That's the first mistake they made is giving up on God. On Thursday, though, somebody shout the mercy of God. As members of Grandview Baptist Church moved the last items out of their sanctuary, they were moving out because the church was going to foreclose. A man pulled into the parking lot with good news. (laughs) The man offered to pay off the bank. This is in our state, Morganton. Pastor John said to the man who he had never met, started asking questions. He basically asked, what would it take to satisfy the bank? He said, I want to take care of it for you. Wisenet told the man, this is the pastor, that the church owed $345,000. The church borrowed that money to build a family life center, and then the economy weakened, making it impossible for the church to pay. 
I don't have time to even deal with that. We're not driven by the economy in the first place. Never stop tithing because of the economy. God is your supply. I can't get two amens in the house of God. There you go hoarding God's money and God says, I'll blow on your stuff. I'll put you out of business. Amen. God says, I'm your supply. Haggai said, you're putting money in bags with holes in it. He said, consider your ways. This pastor ought to teach a whole year off of money. He ought not teach anything else. Just help his people be delivered from that wicked spirit. But listen to what God says. The attorney handling the foreclosure confirmed on Friday that he had received 10% of what was owed and the rest of the money would be paid on Monday. What is God trying to teach us, y'all? I still do the miraculous. I'm still moving by my great power, but you got to see beyond you. You got to see beyond your own resources, beyond your own supply. How many people in here, you'll be honest, you get stuck in when you come up against a problem. Be honest. Come on. Sometimes you look at yourself and you say, man, how am I going to fix it? God says you've got to divorce your spirit man from your flesh man and understand that everything that I've spoken will come to pass. Am I in the right church this morning? So if you believe it's going to rain and it is going to rain, you've got to position yourself to know that any day now, God is going to drench you with the promises of God. Let me see if I can go a little bit further in this thing because Noah's telling the people it's going to rain. And let me go ahead and help some sinner who may be listening on the internet or maybe here today. Let me go ahead and tell you that it's going to rain is not just an Old Testament revelation. It's going to rain is a New Testament truth. The fact of the matter is, any day now, the sky is going to crack. And we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. Saints of God, Jesus is coming back. I didn't get too much amen on that. Let me say it one more time. I, I, I know I'm not at a baseball game. I know I'm at church this morning. Let me just try it one more time, see if I get the right response from the church of the living God. Jesus is coming back. And our shout ought to be indicative of that. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, says Brother John. In other words, it's going to rain. What are you saying, Pastor Gabe? If you're in here and you're living in sin, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Before I talk about how to release your faith in the drought, before I talk about how to believe God for better and more in your life, let me tell you something to shore up your walk with Jesus. If you're not right with him or if you're walking the fence this morning, be reminded that any day now your soul can be required of you. It's not time to play with the Lord. It's not time to be figuring yourself out. It's not time to be trying to bring uh, your own ideologies in. You need to go back and listen to last Sunday's message on vain philosophies. It's not time to be trying to figure it out through Oprah's many paths to one God. Somebody shout vain philosophy. It's a time now to love Jesus with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your might. Because any day now, somebody shout, it's going to rain. So we see, though, that these people in the article, the Lord blesses them, pays them out of debt, sets them up on high. And, and I want to show you a few things even in the text this morning that happened because Elijah had just defeated those 450 prophets. Those people had been tied into bales. They were serving false gods, much like us today, serving false gods. We exalt everything above Jesus. How many of you know I'm right? We serve, watch this, even our flesh is a false god. Did you know that? Let me give you a, a classic example of serving a false god. Whenever you let your flesh keep you in bed on a Sunday morning and you're not sick, that's a false god. I can't get three amens, but I'm right. Whenever you get up on Sunday morning and say, I don't feel like it, that is a false god. You're serving yourself. But I guarantee you on Monday morning, you will not wake up and say, I don't feel like it. Because the God of money will win over your flesh. You didn't get that, but I'm right. A paycheck, a salary. And for God's sake, don't be on hourly. You won't miss one hour. Now, if you're on salary, you might say, I don't feel like it. But hourly? No, you're going to be there every 40. 
And you're going to try to get 45 out of them if you can to get time and a half. God is saying, stop letting your flesh win. You can't overcome this world being out of place. You can't overcome this world trying to figure it out on your own. And there are five reasons in the text then, am I on the right street this morning, why the drought ended. I'm going to just teach you today. The first reason why the drought ended was the people repented of their beliefs and false gods. Give my wife credit for that one. Dialoguing with her about my text yesterday. That was the first reason why the drought ended. The people repented. Let me tell you something. You will never have a move of God living in your sins. I'm going to keep saying that until I get a real loud amen. Because the only people I heard on that was Alicia, Travis, um, Stephanie said amen. I think John's going to say amen too. I'm going to try it again. You will never be blessed living in your sins. We are not the apostate church. We're not that church. Amen. We shout about stuff like that. You will not be blessed sleeping with your boyfriend. Better word. You won't be blessed sleeping with somebody else's husband. Somebody say, get excited about righteousness. Praise the Lord. These people repented of their bail, Saria. Look at verse number 39 of uh, chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Good God Almighty. Somebody say it's going to rain. <laughs> God is telling us this morning, he says, gird up your loins, get ready. That's what Elijah did. He gird up his loins knowing that it was going to rain. When you know the glory of God is going to fall, you got to prepare for it. You got to get in position. One of the ways you get in position is you repent of false gods. You get them out of your life. Look at what the Bible declares in 1 Kings 18 and 39. What a powerful word after Elijah blew those prophets up. <laughs> Good God Almighty. He won and he won big. <laughs> His cattle was licked up by the fire and the water. You follow where I'm coming from. The water was licked up and the cattle was consumed. But the false prophets of Baal, they had cut themselves, and their God still didn't answer. The Bible says to the God that cannot hear, you're praying to a false God. you got to get rid of those false things in your life. I'll give you a few examples, but look at the repenting first, verse number 39. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Man, they got indignant in running back to Jesus. This old commission song that used to say, I'm running back to you. I see you standing there for me. God said, I never left my position. He says, when you want to get right with me, you come running back to me. I'm still in the same place. I'm not changing my standard. When you want to live right, when you want to be holy, you come repenting. You come saying, Lord, I yield, I yield. What must I do to be saved? And that's what the church ought to be about. And that's how the rain will fall in your life. That's how the supernatural will occur. How are you going to believe a God to do something for you that you don't believe in? Matthew 6, 24, you don't have to turn there, but write it down. I want you to have a whole ton of notes this morning. Matthew 6 and 24 says it best. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. God says, you can't love me and love the enemy at the same time. That's my problem with these apostate churches that try to bless you despite your life. You bless yourself off of your lifestyle. I have no problem knowing that Stephanie and I are going to come into the abundance of rain. You know why? Because I know what our lifestyle is comprised of. <laughs> I understand the, the process of the any day now blessing. Let me tell you something. I'm trying to sell you a product this morning. I'm trying to sell you holiness. I'm trying to sell you defeating your flesh. Here it is. I'm trying to sell you sanctification. And I'm not talking about a white doily on your head either. That's not what holiness is. 
You can wear all the white in the world and still be the biggest whore on your street. Whoo, did he go there? I don't care what denomination you are part of, but we holiness, uh huh. And as soon as the midnight musical is over, they're outside doing something unholy. That does not make you holy. My Baptist deacon, you think just because you are a deacon that you are going to heaven? And, and as soon as the business meeting turns out, you go outside and smoke a cigarette? But you're on your way to heaven anyhow. I can't get amen. Deacon Frank, am I okay this morning? Man, been a deacon for 30 years. He can help me teach this, right? What I'm trying to tell you is, is holiness is not a denomination. Holiness is a profession. You're not holy because of your bishopric. Doesn't make you holy. You're not holy because you are a prophetess. You're not holy because of, you're not holy because you know how to tune up and win the hoop at the right time. You are holy because there has been a change on the inside. So your flesh has got to be regenerated. You've got to turn. Somebody say you got to turn. If my people who are called by my, na my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, don't stop reading, turn from their wicked ways, then will I do what? Hear from heaven and heal their land. How can I believe God to heal me when I don't believe him? Oh, let's go a little bit further before I lose it up here. Number two, uh, the second reason why the drought ended was the man of God heard the rain in the spirit and said it with his mouth. <laughs> you didn't catch that. If you read this text carefully, nobody else heard the rain. Good God Almighty. Elijah was the only one who heard, Sister Lemon, the rain. Nobody else heard it, Kim. You've got to be perceptive. You've got to be spiritual. That's why I'm going to do a teaching real soon on the, at this church about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says of the sons of Issachar, they were able to discern the times. You know what season you're in. You know how to be discerning before you make the next step. This man of God heard the rain, point number two, but he said it with his mouth. Look at verse number 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the what? Sound of an abundance of rain. <laughs> Ahab didn't hear it. The servant didn't hear it. Elijah heard it. He was spiritual enough to hear it. Uh, let me see if I can give you a classic example of, of being spiritual. You ever been in a store getting ready to buy something and something inside of you just say, nah, I'll leave that there. I mean, come on, show of hands. Am I right, Jackie? I mean, you really had to have... No, not today. No, don't buy it right now. And then the very next week, maybe it didn't happen just this way, but your air conditioner needed to be repaired. And the money you would have spent was your repair money. I'm right. That's the Holy Ghost. The Bible says he will lead you in all truths, big truths, little truths. You ever been getting dressed, getting ready to go somewhere, and the Holy Ghost say, not today. You turn on the news and you notice that there was a big accident. How do you know you weren't supposed to be in that accident? <laughs> he spoke it with his mouth. Go with me to 1 Kings 17. Are you bored this morning or are you with me? 1 Kings 17 and 1, the Bible says, In Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. You didn't catch that. <laughs> God says when you're walking in the supernatural, there is power in your word. Look at your neighbor and say, what are you saying? What is coming out of your mouth? Are you claiming it's a bad economy and you'll never get a job? Well, you'll never get a job. Are you claiming that your marriage will never be right? It'll never be right. Are you claiming that your son will never put the heroin down? He'll never put it down. But see, faith begins to proclaim that which it doesn't see. 
You can't see it with your natural eyes, but your faith says it's done. And you begin to act like you have it. You begin to walk like you have it. I wish I was in the right church. You begin to talk like you have it. Elijah said we've been in a drought three and a half years, but baby, get ready because it's going to rain. He said it with his mouth. Tom, we got to start saying things, Larry, with our mouth. We got to start walking in faith. If you don't pray it, write this down, it won't happen. Come with me to James chapter 5, verse 17. Are you with me today? You have got to pray it. You have got to say it. Some of you believe in God, and I know I'm teaching to the right people this morning. This is going to bless you real good. You believe in God to make you debt free, to heal that marriage where there has been an affair. I don't know, but you have got to speak health into your life. You've got to begin to pray it. You've got to begin to say it. Stephanie and I have some long-term goals. We begin to pray it and say it. Sister Blanca, the reason why her son got saved, she took the word of God. Esther, chapter 8, verse number 8. She wrote down those things. She followed instructions. She began to say it. By the time she left Bible study that night, her unsaved son had given her four, four missed calls wanting to give his life to Jesus. Why did it happen? Believe his word and you'll be established. Believe his prophet, so shall you prosper. You have got to take the word in and you've got to say it. God is saying this morning to us, Brother Mel, that we have got to stand in agreement with him. Look at what Elijah prayed, Pam. Check it out, verse number 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Pause right there. That means Elijah had fluctuation in his, in his emotions. You ever had fluctuations in your emotions? Your emotions, Reg, don't always agree with God. Your emotions can be up today, down tomorrow. Elijah was a man of emotions just like you and I. God says he had emotional problems sometimes too, but he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. He prayed it. He said it. And it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. But don't stop there. Somebody say get ready for the rain. And he prayed again, Minister Lisa, and the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. You got to pray it. What do you think the Bible means when it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is, where? In heaven. How are you going to get the kingdom done if you don't claim it to be done? I don't know. Maybe I'm in the wrong church this morning. Somebody shout, say it. If you're going to say it, number three, the reason, third reason why the drought ended in Elijah's day. And this is the third reason why the drought is going to end in your day. Listen to this. The third reason why it ended was there was obedience at every point of the instructions. Y'all didn't get that. Obedience at every point of the instructions. If you're writing obedience is the number one key to breakthrough you must have obedience at every point of the instructions Patrick you got your phone yeah somebody else help uh help sister have need Joe oh you don't need okay come on Pat I need you to, I need you you can sit right there y'all are fine I want you to see something here because this is gonna bless you real good first Kings run on back to first Kings are you still with me Patrick, go ahead and turn your phone on. I want to I see if I can get somebody to help me teach a biblical truth this morning. I'm going to show you, show you something almost through a parable. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43. The Bible declares it. Somebody say you got to be obedient at every point. The Bible says in verse 43, and he said to his servant, 1 Kings 18, 43, go up now, verse 43, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked. And said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Y'all didn't get that. The prophet told him, go again. <laughs> Y'all didn't get I'm talking to this side over here. <laughs> okay. Here's the third time. What God has promised ain't come to pass. God said, get up and pray again. <laughs> You're like, Lord, nah, uh-uh, that's enough. I've been praying all these, I've been praying for six months and you hadn't done it yet. 
God said, no, no, okay, yeah, fifth time, mm -mm, no, no, just pray again. And you start saying stuff like, but God, five is the number of grace. I should have moved into it by now. Three is the Trinity. You know, we, you know how we do numbers. You understand what I'm saying? We try to reason with God, come up with new philosophies on stuff, try to make it happen for our good. God says, no, no, no. You got to keep following my instructions every step of the way. It did not happen on the second time. It didn't happen on the fifth time. And it didn't happen on the sixth time. It happened on the seventh time. Now, what if he would have stopped at the sixth time? You better believe it, brother. He would not have made it. Why? Because there is no reward in the middle. <laughs> there is no reward in the middle of any race. Baby, you have got to cross the finish line. <laughs> I can't get any help in here. Isaiah 119 says it best. Write the passage down. I'm going to quote it to you. If you be willing and obedient, you will eat off the good of the land. Check this out. Most people are willing but not obedient. Y'all didn't get that. I'm telling you, I'm going to write a book, Willing, Not Obedient. That'd be a good book. Because most people want to see the hand of God in their life. Yeah, they do. They want to see the move of God in their life. They want to see God do great things. They want to see God bring restoration in their home. They want to see, okay, let me see if I can get, it, get, get good participation on here. How many people are here? You don't want any money. Raise your hand. You don't want any. You don't want any. I mean, because you're just one of those real good, you know, you're a Christian. You don't need money. You got that Mother Teresa anointing. You don't need nothing. You follow where I'm coming from? You didn't raise your hand because you're being honest. Yeah, you do need money. You need it in the proper context. You don't love money, but you need it. The Bible declares that money is the answer to all things. You follow where I'm coming from? You don't, you don't love money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. But you need money. But now see, check it out. You will never have the abundance of flow in your life. I'm going to get in trouble right now until you master this word. Uh, let me see if I can spell it. T-I-T-H-E-S. What will happen? You can pray for abundance all day. You can sow one-time seeds of $1,000. People do stuff like that. I'm believing God on this seed. Ain't tied the whole year at their local church. You on the internet, you go home and tie it to your church. You follow where I'm coming from? But you, I mean, you, you, you can believe all you. I mean, you are the next candidate for a layoff. Y'all didn't like that. You better hear me because, see, now knowledge is a burden. God is saying, if I can't trust you to give me 10% uh, 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 off of 100, I'm going to give you 90. If I can't get 10, he said, you don't need my resources. Supervisor, do your thing. I no longer have to rebuke the devourer for you anymore. <laughs> you didn't like that. See, I've been rebuking the devourer. Every other department has already laid everybody off, but I let you keep your job in mercy. But I can't trust you to give me $200 when you make $2,000. I'm providing for you. I'm keeping you. I keep that company afloat. I can't get an amen, but I'm right. So too many people, they don't have full obedience. We try to do what we want to do, not off of the instructions of God, off of our own instructions. Somebody say, don't rewrite the instructions. Okay, let me see if I can do my little example because time is fleeting. Okay, this is the only time, young people, when you're authorized to use a cell phone in church, all right? Because, you know, um, we don't use cell phones in church. But can I just do a little example? Patrick, will you please uh, call my phone? You have my number. Will you call my phone? Okay, hurry up, Pat, because we've got a long way to go on the message. You should have me on speed dial. As much as you call me throughout the week, I'm sure that I'm one of your second to last numbers uh, up, up there. I'm teasing them. Okay, <laughs> it's kind of funny. You lost the signal. Okay, you got me, JB. One of y'all called, called the phone. JB got an iPhone. Pat's calling it, too. Which, whithersoever one of y'all get, get, get in, okay, is it working? 
Here goes JB. Everybody hear that? Okay, so he got me. All right, now JB, you can stop. Thank you. All right, I'm going to stop the call. JB, I want you to, uh, and you don't necessarily have to really, really do this, but for the sake of an example, let's just say that JB no longer has the battery attached to his phone. Let's just say he doesn't have the battery attached. JB, I want you to act as if your battery is not attached. Call my phone. Good role playing. No power source. The battery is not attached. He can't get a call through. The device, nothing wrong with the device. It still works. We both paid our bill, but his battery is not attached. Now, let me see if I can give you some instructions. Somebody say obedience all the way. With these nice, neat devices that you get, HTC or your iPhone, they come with this little packet of instructions. One of the things those instructions will say, and for the brevity of time, let me read my instructions to you. Attach the battery, push the power button, dial the number, and your call will be connected. JB, just dial the number, but don't push talk. He's dialing my number. Don't push talk. The call is not being connected. Y'all, that's what believers do all the time. Lord, I need you to bless me. Have you, have you done what the Bible says do? No, but I need a blessing today. Have, have you cut him off yet? No, God, I need you to move today. I don't want to cut him off. I need you to move. Don't worry about him. He coming over at six. I need you to move right now. This time, JB, attach the battery, dial my number, uh, and then push the talk button. Let's see what happens. Because he read the instructions. He's attached the battery. He pushed the power button. Dial the number. See, see what happens. See, see what happens. Oh, my God. Let me, for the sake of the tape, every single time we get a connection, somebody shout hallelujah. Thank you, JB. But you have got to read the instructions. And not only do you read the instructions, you have to carry the instructions out verse by verse. Not a piece of it. <laughs> not that part that you want to, you know what I'm saying? Like, God, that part's easy. <laughs> I, can, I, can, <laughs> I can do that one, God. You got to eat the whole book. And God is saying that's what obedience is all about. Obedience is following instructions all the time. And God says, I will bless you. But not only do you have to be obedient all the time, you got to be persistent in your obedience. I'm going to give you the next point in just a second. But Luke chapter 11, don't turn there. Verse number nine, it says it best. It says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. Write this down. Persistence persistence you know what one of the reasons why that drought ended that servant kept being persistent in the instructions <laughs> we did the Dave Ramsey class here at this church earlier this year a lot of our people graduated from it and I think many of them are well on their way to being debt free but let me tell you something if they don't work the lessons that they got in those 13 weeks taking that class is in vain I mean, it's a, it's a proverbial waste of time. I mean, a waste of time. Many of you, you come to this church, and I say this in such non-arrogant fashion because it's not about me, but I, I, I have no problem telling you this. At this church, you get a solid, rich word every single Sunday. Every Sunday. I know I'm right about that. And thank you for the hand clap, but I, I know I'm right about it because I know what God gives is from him. I know it's properly studied, but check it out. Some people will go to this church for the next five years and never see a change in their life. You want to know why? Half obedience. Was it the word? Uh-uh. Can I give you a comparison? You remember those two thieves on the cross? There, I'm going to put it out there early. I'm going to preach this one day to you. Both of them had equal access to God. Both of them had a conversation with God. Check it out. Only one of them went to heaven. You didn't get that. Here's the cross. 
Here's one thief. Here's the other thief. And they're real thieves in real life too. And here's Jesus on the cross. Equal access. One of them has the wrong conversation. <laughs> you didn't get that. One of them can't stand Jesus. Won't take in his teachings. Here he is on death row. Any day now, blood is going to stop running warm in his veins, but he doesn't take Jesus' instructions. This man, on the other hand, he hears and does. And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. It had everything to do with his response. On any given Sunday, there are two types of people in everybody's church. <laughs> you didn't get that. Two types. There is that person who comes and they say, man, listen, everything that man of God tells me today, I'm going to apply it. I'm going to check it in the word because I'm a Berean. I'm going to see that the things he says are true now. But when I know it's the word of God, I'm going to apply it to my life and I'm going to be victorious. Then there's that other person who comes to church. I don't know. Maybe they're looking for a woman. I don't know why they came to church. Maybe they're looking to see what people have on. I don't know why they came. To church. Maybe they came because it's an obligation that they learned at the age of eight you should go to church I don't know but they come to church week in and week out and their lives stay in Lodabar I'm preaching right this morning I don't got that many amens but I'm in the right church you have got to change your mind Romans 12 and be not what conformed to this world but be what Transformed by the what? Renewing of your what? Mind. Look at your neighbor and say, how do you think? Number four, the reason why the drought ended, my brothers and sisters, and I'm almost done, is the servant saw the cloud through the right lenses. <laughs> You're not going <laughs> to. Now, you got to be a Bible student to get this next point. Can I teach this to you? If you're writing, perception means everything when it comes to faith. How you see the dilemma means everything when it comes to faith. Do you see foreclosure as just that? You're going to foreclose? Or do you see it as an opportunity to sit down on that couch, turn your TV on, and relax, understanding that because you are walking upright before the Lord, you're properly budgeting, yes, you are tithing, you're doing everything God says do, that God is going to come through. <laughs> you didn't get that. God bless you, my sister. You see it the way that God told you to see it. <laughs> do you see the layoff as, oh, my God, I just got laid off? Or do you see it as, oh, my God, I just got laid off? That means God's about to do something real big. <laughs> it's all about how you see it. Do you see the cancer diagnosis as I'm going to die any day now? Or do you see it as an opportunity for God to get more glory? Perception is everything in faith. Let me show it to you in the Bible. This man, this servant, he saw the cloud through the right lenses. The way you see a cloud, saint of God, is everything. And whether or not you see the move of God in your life. If you see that cloud through devastating lenses, it will be devastating. Listen to what the Bible declares in 1 Kings again, uh, chapter 18. The Bible says... Verse 44, then it came to pass that the seventh time, somebody say the seventh time, that he said, who said? The servant. There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. Explanation point. You didn't get that. <laughs> he said, there is a cloud the size of a man's hand rising out of the sea. Explanation point. He got excited about what he saw in the cloud. Let me see if I can paint a picture. <laughs> have you ever looked at a cloud and it looked like an alligator? I have. Or, or a heart or anything. Abstract. Come on, be honest. It doesn't mean you have schizophrenia or anything like that. But you did look at a cloud and it looked like a car, a Mazda. You follow where I'm coming from? You looking up at a cloud, it's a Toyota Corolla. And you just know it's one. That's your perception. Now you ask somebody else, do you see the alligator in that cloud? They'll say, man, are you crazy? That's a white cloud. Can I prove my point in the Hebrew? 
This word hand comes from the Hebrew word kaf, K-A-P-H. <laughs> this is going to blow your mind, right? It's going to be real confusing. This is what kaf means. It can mean, according to the Hebrew writers, a hollow hand, a palm, or the paw of an animal, the hand of a man, or even the bowl of a dish. It sounds like to me that cough can mean whatever you want it to mean. Hand of an animal, hand of a man, bowl of a dish. He could have saw the hand of a bear. He didn't get that. He could have saw the bowl of a dish, according to the Hebrew word. He saw, though, the hand of God. You didn't get that. He said, I see what looks like a man's hand. We were created in God's image. God has hands just like us. When he saw the cloud, he had expectation, and he said, I see God working it out for me right now. I see God in my problem. <laughs> I see God in the tough place. I feel the anointing this morning. I see God maneuvering. I see the hand of God moving on my behalf even when things don't look the way that I think they should look. You've got to graduate from seeing yourself and graduate to seeing the hand of God. How you look at even yourself is everything. Run over to Numbers 13. Man, I'm doing good on time. <laughs> See, you're going to leave here large and in faith. And I'm telling you, this week right here, God's going to manifest some things for somebody in here who you don't argue with the word of God. You just hear it and you receive it. I'm telling you, you go home and you're going to get a phone call. You're going to you just what you've been looking for. Somebody say this is the seventh week. <laughs> Listen to what God says about perception. Numbers 13 and 33 and I'm going home. You don't, you, you, you're not getting this this morning. I hope that you get this word and listen to it again. The Bible says of the people of Israel, the children of Israel, then we saw the giants. Then we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers, but where? In our own sight. And so we were in their sight. If they knew who God was, they would not have seen those giants as their defeaters. If they knew not just who they were, but who God was, they would have saw the giants the way Caleb saw it. Jump up to verse number 30. <laughs> then Caleb, a man of God, quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. And take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Good, Caleb saw the cloud as a man's hand. He saw it through the right lens. He saw it through the lens of victory. How are you seeing your cloud? That's what this lesson is all about. In a drought, how do you see your drought? How do you see your hard time? How do you see your hard place? Show of hands. Anybody in here, you've been in a hard place lately? Come on, be honest. Anybody, come on. And for those of you who haven't, that's good. Praise the Lord. But how you see it is everything. God says you've got to have the right perception of the cloud. When you look in the lens of that cloud or look at the cloud, you've got to look at it through the lens of victory and not of that of defeat. The fifth reason why the drought ended, and I will let you go home. <laughs> the fifth reason the drought ended, and this is going to blow your mind, man. I'm telling you, if you don't hear any of the other points, please hear this one. Because I'm telling you, this is going to deliver you from carnality. It's going to deliver you from your own viewpoint of the problem. It's going to deliver you right into believing the supernatural hand of God. Show of hands. How many people know God's about to do something real, real, real big? Yes, he is. Yeah. Somebody said, I'll put up two hands. I don't blame you, sis. I see God moving. I know he's going to cancel some things. I know he's going to bring some things to pass. I know he's going to manifest everything that he promised. If he spoke it, it shall come to pass. But this is the final point of the day, and then we'll go eat chicken. The fifth reason, Mel, 
why, Anthony, the drought ended was it was time for the drought to end. I need some family support on this one. Get some people close, some people who love me. Look at somebody and say, it will end when it's time. See, you got to read your Bible carefully. If you don't read the Bible right, you'll, you'll miss that point. Elijah said it was going to be three and a half years. going to end in a year. My God, if I was in church, I'd hoop right now. He didn't tell them it was going to end in two years. The man of God said, you got three and a half years to go through this trial, but after that, it will rain. So what's wrong with us and our lack of faith? Don't you know Jesus is coming back? We won't struggle always. One day, very, very soon, we will be called up to meet him in the air. You're not going to stay in a hard place always. Somebody say at the appointed time. Good God Almighty. Oh, every problem I go through in life has an appointed time to end. Good God Almighty. Every layoff you go through has an appointed time to end. Every diagnosis you get, an appointed time to end. Baby, that teenager that won't act right, they got an appointed time to mature. Your prayer is going to be answered. It will come to pass. Can I close this thing out? He says it was time to end. Run over to Psalm 75. God Almighty. After three and a half years, the drought's going to end. I don't know where you are in your three and a half years this morning. You know, some of you are at three years and you still got about six months to go. Christmas time is, is, is your time, baby. Get ready. Some of you, you, like you at the beginning, you may as well chill on out. Just relax. Take the ride. It's going to be all right. You got three more years, bro. Three more. You come six months. Three years. It's okay. See, that's why this church doesn't sell people on just the blessings of God. Because the deferred hope makes the heart sick. You'll leave here today, and if God don't do it this week, you'll quit on church. Won't, won't come back next time. He told me this was my week. I didn't say that. I told you that there's an appointed time for it to end. Now, it's somebody's week. I believe that in faith. Somebody's coming out of the gutter this week. <laughs> this is your day. It's going to happen. I believe that, baby. Saddle up, man, because you come, you coming. I mean, you like Dorinda Clark. You coming out with your hands up. God Almighty, shouting! God's going to do it. But if God doesn't do it this week, what a wonderful testimony when you can still love him with all you got, when you are not like contemplating suicide, when you are not like saying, I'm going to quit Christianity, when you say all the days of my appointed time, I'm just going to stand here and wait until my change comes. I'm still going to praise you every Sunday. I'm still going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm still going to love you with everything that's within me. Hallelujah. Change hadn't come yet, but my, I, I've not changed my mind about you. Hallelujah. Oh, how awful it would be to be a fair-weathered husband to Stephanie. Only love her when she's doing well. She sprained her ankle recently. What if one of the conditions of marrying her is as long as you don't sprain your ankle, I'll stay with you? I'd be out of here, wouldn't I? An ankle sprain doesn't make me leave. God is saying, what happens when you don't see my hand? When you can't trace me, will you still trust me? When you don't know where I am, when you don't know how far I am, when you don't know if this is your week or if November is your week or if June is, will you still evangelize? Will you still share the gospel with people? Will you still put yourself on the back burner? Will you still love people enough and forget about your diagnosis? You know, I used to run a cancer group. I'm getting ready to go. JB, what time And I? Used to run a cancer group. One minute, we got to stop. And in that cancer group, there were two kinds of people. In the cancer group, uh, there was the person there who was ready to die, 
And there was the person there who was ready to live. And the research tells us over and over again, those people who are ready to live, live double the time than those who are ready to die. Where are you, ready to live or die? Don't stop it yet, JB. Give them this last scripture, Psalm 75 and 2. I got to stop. We got to get this on the tape. Psalm 75 and 2, listen to what he says. Somebody say at the appointed time. After I read this, we, we can get ready to stop it. Just one verse, Psalm 75 and 2. The Bible declares, keep this passage if you don't get anything else today. Psalm 75 and 2, it says, when I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. 